your love. God, we will put our trust totally in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you would help us to see you as you are. God, I thank you for the word that you challenged us with last week. God, that if we call on you, you hear us, you stop, you respond. But God, give us a heart of Zacchaeus today. God, that wants to see who you are. God, that we're not just interested in what you can do, but we want to know your heart. And so Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive all that you have for us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you can be seated this morning. I believe God uh, has a word for us today, and I believe our openness to receiving it matters more than anything. You know, I believe you can walk into a worship service week after week after week after week, and God can speak, but if our hearts aren't open to receive it, we won't get anything. One of the things I've shared with someone just this last week is that at one point in my life, I felt like the Lord said, every time you're in a service, uh, respond to the altar. Anytime an altar call is given, I respond. Whether if, if I don't think the Lord has said anything through that message, I go and make sure my heart's not hard. Because sometimes I can discredit the person at the pulpit and give you all the reasons why I'd, you know, they didn't prepare or they didn't preach something that was good or maybe they weren't even biblically sound. But I don't care who the preacher is, God can speak. It can be someone that most of the things they teach is false doctrine and yet somehow in the midst of all of it, God can give something to a hungry heart and feed it. And so the idea that you have to leave a church because you're not getting fed anymore sometimes isn't the the fault of, of the person at the pulpit, sometimes it's the fault of the person eating. And I'm, I didn't plan to say this today. I just feel like I'm saying it for some reason. I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. But um, I just feel like at times we like to blame someone else for why we're not getting something from the Lord. We blame a spouse. We blame a parent. We blame a teacher. We blame a boss. We blame this, 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 this. And at the end of the day, we get what we're hungry for. I mean, Jason Newstater was here last week and brought a prophetic, a profound prophetic word for this body. Seek God, seek God, seek God. God does not reward those who casually seek him, those who diligently seek him. And I hope that message wasn't lost. And uh, he might be listening today because they're in Missouri selling fireworks. So I'm going to be careful how I say this. But, you know, I, I met Jason. It's, I've told the story. I don't have time to go into it in great detail. But our lives have intersected in so many different ways. And I almost missed the opportunity that God had for us to meet last summer because I didn't want to be hospitable. Do you know the Bible says be hospitable because sometimes you entertain an angel? And so luckily, the person called Christy and not me, because she's more hospitable than me by nature. And so because of that, our lives intersected. And then when I called him, I'll be honest with you, when I called him this time to come, one of the things I felt like he was going to do, because I knew the story, I heard the stories, I knew how he was filled with the Holy Spirit, I knew the, how he had, God had used him in the gifts of the Spirit, I knew he had seen people pulled out of wheelchairs, he told you the story last Sunday morning, I knew that his wife had raised someone from the dead, I knew that kingdom power operated in their lives, and so in the back of my mind, I promise you, I thought, that's why he's coming. He's coming because he wants to, he's going to show us 
how to operate in the kingdom power. And as he started preaching last week, I promise you, I was a little disappointed. Because the only thing I told him was bring the kingdom. And he brought a word that was really all about making sure God is enough. Wanting to see who he is. And this last week, as I was just doing my normal Bible reading for the week, I came across a passage of scripture that, uh, by the way, by the end of his message, I was glad he preached what he did, and I was the, one of the first ones to the altar saying, God, I got to make sure that I keep that place first. And I'm glad I did, because later on in the week, God confirmed it in this way. I don't know if you, I believe as a church, we're contending for a supernatural lifestyle, supernatural culture. I believe that God still heals. I believe he still delivers. I believe he still restores. I think we try to fix a lot of problems in America, in our world, in a physical way when it's, it's a spiritual problem. You know, we try to picket you know, the parades and we try to make, you know, people see the truth and we don't want to spend time in fasting and prayer to tear down the strongholds that are actually empowering that. And so we want to do it our way. We want to do it a physical way. We want to fight a battle a way that it's not effective at all. In fact, we end up getting into a war of words and we actually strengthen the spirit behind it because we're trying to overcome evil with arguing, with evil. Remember, Paul said, I didn't come to you with clever words and persuasive speech. I came with demonstration of the Spirit's power. Yeah, we got to speak truth. It better be in love, and it should come with demonstration of the Spirit's power. Well, I've never wanted to be Nazareth. You know what I mean by that? Because when Jesus walked the earth, he could only do a few miracles in Nazareth because people didn't believe in him. And so I don't want to be Nazareth. When I was in Israel, we went to Capernaum. And Capernaum is a place where a lot of miracles took place. Jesus did a lot of miracles. And there was an actual synagogue from the time of Jesus. The foundation was still there. You could see the foundation. And we took time as a group to literally pray on that spot for miracles. For whatever in our lives we could think that needed God's touch, God's miracle. And it was a powerful, profound moment. And I'm like, I want to be Capernaum. I want to be a place where God's power in, is always seen. This week, I happen to read this. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Yeah, Jesus, they had faith for the miracles, but they didn't see Jesus for who he was. And their lives weren't transformed by the miracles. Don't miss that. And I felt like God this week said, you know what, I'm trying to develop in your life in this church, a character that sees him for who he is. Because if I actually give you a supernatural culture before you have the foundation to hold it, it'll crush you. And yeah, you'll be like Capernaum. There'll be lots of miracles. But like Matthew chapter seven says, on the last day, you'll say, hey, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, I never 
knew you. Depart from me. And so I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for that word. Thank you, Jason, for being obedient to remind us that that's the foundation. And then last week, as we were meeting for prayer before service, the Lord dropped this series, First Love, into my heart. And literally, six weeks worth of sermons, I, was, it, I could see it in my mind, week after week after week after week. And so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. I don't have that one on the screen. If you're using the Bible in front of you, the Pew Bible, it's page 1041. You can turn there because I want you to see it because, uh, again, it's not on the screen for you. But I'm going to repeat myself several weeks, which is probably a good thing in the summer, because I could probably preach the same sermon four times in a row just to make sure everybody hears it. But luckily, in this day and age, I know that people that are gone watch online, they listen, they hear, and I want to challenge you, if you're gone, do not miss a week of this series, not because I'm somebody, but because I believe God has a word for our church, and if we do not hear it, things will not go well for us. Just the same way that this same word was spoken to this church in Revelation chapter 2, that's what I think is going to happen. The book of Revelation, we believe, was written by John the Apostle. He was a beloved disciple of Jesus. He was in Jesus' inner circle. We believe he wrote the book of John in the Bible. We believe he wrote the book of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. We do not know much about the life of John from the time of Jesus' crucifixion till the time of his death. There are some things in Jewish history that we know a little bit about. We believe he penned the Gospel of John in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those letters from the city of Ephesus. We believe that for a season, John was a pastor or an apostle over the church of Ephesus. We believe that was a part of his calling. We believe that all of the apostles except John were martyred, meaning they were killed by someone because of their faith in Jesus. We believe John was dipped into boiling oil by an emperor to be martyred, but he was not harmed. And so because of that, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Oddly, as John is writing the book of Revelation, John is on the Isle of Patmos. And while, he, while it is the Lord's day, it says in, in Revelation chapter 1, he is worshiping. And as he's worshiping, he sees a vision. And that beginning of that vision is Jesus in an exalted state, so much of an exalted state that John falls down as though he is dead. This inner circle disciple of Jesus who walked with him for three years, who saw him post-resurrection, sees Jesus in this exalted, glorified state, falls down as though he were dead, and then he's told, write down the words of this vision that I give you. In chapter 2, chapters 2 and 3 are actually seven letters from the mouth of Jesus that's why they're in red, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, to John to write to specific churches in Asia Minor. Okay, these are real churches, real people, real situations. Every one of those letters starts with a part of who Jesus is that John saw in his vision in chapter 1. So what John saw in chapter 1, every church gets a piece of it. Every letter ends with the words, with the phrase, he who has ears to hear should hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, as an assembly of God church, Restoration Church believes God still speaks today. 
We believe God gave us his spirit, like we already read from the word, and that spirit speaks to us. It reminds us of things Jesus taught. It shows us what way to go. That's, what the spirit, that's who the spirit is in us. Now, we always believe what God speaks today conforms to his word. It never contradicts, because these are eyewitnesses who walked with God personally. This is God's character, it's his nature. If you get a vision, I do not care if it's a blue sash Jesus coming to you in a vision, telling you to do something that contradicts this book, it's not Jesus. Okay? That's our standard. Now, if Jesus comes and tells you something and you just don't like it, you can't find anything it contradicts here, you just, meh. I don't really feel, I don't sense that. That could still be Jesus. Please do not discount it. One of the things I fear in our culture today that, you know, we, we have this idea of gift-based ministry, and I, I, I get it, it's true. You know, what, whatever ministry God has for you, you're gonna feel led to do it. You know, it's gonna, it's gonna be your sweet spot. And so what we do when we see a need even though the Bible clearly says to us, if you, if one, you write it down, 1 John chapter 3, even though the Bible clearly says to us, if you see a need and you have the ability to meet the need and you don't do it, God's love is not in you. We still say, even though I could do that, well, I, I don't know if I'd be blessed by it. And so we don't do it. Because we don't, and we spiritualize it, I didn't feel led to do it. You don't have to feel led. If there's a need, you have the ability to meet it, do it. It might just be Jesus. And sometimes you won't know until after you did it. Remember the sheep and the goats? Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you alone? When did, when, when, when? when? And Jesus said, anytime you saw the least of these and you didn't do it, you didn't do it to me. feel like I'm kind of jumping around here, but this, this message to this church in Revelation chapter 2 is the church in Ephesus. And this message was for a specific church in a specific time, but I believe it still speaks to churches today, and I think it has a specific message for us that hopefully over the next several weeks, we're going to hear. And I want you over the next several weeks to really read this and pray into this and say, because I feel like there's all kinds of things God's showing me, but I'm not going to say them all. Some of them, he's going to just say to you. And there are going to be things for your individual life, not us as a corporate body, just your individual life that I believe God's going to speak through these next few weeks. But in Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. We just believe from John's vision again, these seven lampstands represent seven churches. The, the leaders of those churches or the angels, the messenger of that church are the seven stars in his hand. That's, that's what most scholars believe that represents. Not important for our message today, just giving you some background. Then Jesus says these words, I know your deeds. 
Now, I don't know if Jesus showed up in your house today and said, I know your deeds. I don't know if that would make you excited or if that would make you very nervous. <laughs> but it's not always bad when he says this. And Because watch, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. One phrase about, one statement about that, to the one who overcomes, not to the one who begins, not to the one who starts well, not to the one who does most well, mostly well, to him who overcomes, literally meaning till the end. To the one who perseveres and overcomes, you get to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So this church, there's so much to be commended for. And Jesus says to them specifically, I know you. I walk among you. I am familiar with all your ways. And he starts with a very impressive list. You are hard workers. You are persevering. This is a time when the church is being persecuted by Emperor Domitian. He's an, an emperor. We know a lot about Nero, but Domitian followed Nero, and Nero continued to persecute the church. And under persecution, these guys are persevering, and they do not tolerate wicked people. Contrast that with the Corinthians church. Remember, the Corinthians church was doing all kinds of sexual immorality. There was all kinds of sin. They were letting stuff go on. Not this church, not Ephesus. They did not tolerate wickedness. They were dealing with it. They tested those who claimed to be apostles and they found them to be false. They persevered and they endured hardships for the name of Jesus. Okay, there are some of us that are persevering and enduring hardships, not for the name of Jesus, but for the name of our big mouth. Yeah, or the, the, but in the name of our dumb decisions. Every dumb decision you make or every wrong thing you say, that persecution is not from the devil. But these people, we know it's from being faithful to Jesus that they're suffering persecution. You know, in our day and age, people are always being, per oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not being persecuted. You got to make better decisions. Got an amen there for me? Amen. Okay, good. But we know that that's not true about this church. And they've done all of this without growing weary or without quitting. Then Jesus later on says, you even hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. We don't know for sure what the Nicolaitans believed, but in some way they had perverted the gospel. Whether it was through greed, the way that Balaam did, one of the other churches was doing that, or through sexual immorality, one of the other churches was doing that. We don't know exactly what it is, but we believe that they were preaching a gospel that was mostly true, just slightly off. And they were deceiving a lot of people. And Jesus says, I hate their practice, and you hate their practice. I don't hate them, 
but you hate their practice, that's good. So by all standards, as we look at this church, it's a good church. It's a growing church. It's a good church with standards. They're righteous. They're holy. I bet they had a great kids ministry. I bet they've got a good worship. They faced hardships and they're still going strong. They refuse to give up. They're hardworking, blue collar, good people. And if you're looking at it, you're not going to see what's wrong. Because in order to see with what's wrong, you're going to have to have Jesus' eyes. Jesus can see. In John's vision in chapter 1, his eyes are blazing like fire. Jesus can look through the fluff and he can see the heart. And that's what he speaks to. They have left or they've forsaken what Jesus says is their first love. And we're going to come back to that. And he commands them to turn around, repent, return to this first love and do the first works. Okay, we're going to define first love and first works here in just a second. But he says, if you don't do this, your lampstand is going to be removed. Scholars, again, don't know what to make of that. We don't know exactly what that means. Maybe it means he's going to remove their influence because Ephesus was a very rich city. And it was a very influential city. This church was very influential. Maybe he's going to remove that. Maybe he's going to remove their light. Maybe eternity is at stake for them if they don't repent. Maybe he's going to just disperse them and shut the church down. Would God really shut a church down? So we don't know exactly what this means, but we can surmise it's not good. We don't want Jesus to remove our lampstand, whatever that means. So let's go to first love. What is first love? That word love is the Greek word agape, and there's the definition. If you want to write it down, write it down. You're going to see it for several weeks, but there it is. It's a strong, non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. That's love. It's regard, affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. There's a Greek word for sexual love called eros. There is a Greek word for affectionate friendship love called phileo. But this Greek word is the love that is only attributed to God and God's people. And the only reason it's attributed to God's people is because his spirit lives in us and he is love. That's the only way we have agape is by the spirit in us. It's given to us at salvation. Now, Agape is not void of affection. In fact, the Bible teaches us we should cultivate affection for others. Agape is just not based on affection. It means I can act in love towards you with no feeling of affection whatsoever. In fact, if you are my enemy and I have feelings of distrust or anger, I can still agape because it's not based on affection. But I refuse to stay at that level, and so I will cultivate affection for God and for everyone, because that's what we do. We cultivate affection in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. If you are always bad-mouthing your spouse, there will not be love 
created in your heart. If you are always bad-mouthing your boss, your coworkers, your pastor, your friend, your neighbor, why there's not going to be love in your heart. And oh, I don't ever I don't ever say it out loud. Well, if you're going to entertain thoughts, there will not be affection created in your heart. You're asking for a miracle that's never coming. You have been given the agape of God. What you do with it is up to you. And here's the, the scary thing. You can do a lot of good religious things and have a commendable list and have no agape in your heart. The Bible defines God's love this way. You see it at just the right time. While we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. What if it's not dying for them? What if it's just sacrificing for them? Let's just say that, okay? Because maybe we're not, never gonna be called to die on behalf of another person, but maybe we'll be called to make a sacrifice on behalf of another person. So let's read it that way. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ sacrificed himself for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone sac them, sacrifice themselves for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to sacrifice themselves. But God demonstrates his agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ sacrificed himself for us. And see, God doesn't just do a little bit. He lavishes agape on us. Well, that person doesn't deserve that much, but I'll, just, I'll give him a little. I'll throw him a bone. While we were his enemies, he, he everything spent, everything spent on our behalf. Not just for us, but so that it can dwell in us and flow out of us. It's defined better in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Ever. Ever. Even when it disagrees, it's patient. It's kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's not self-seeking. It does not dishonor others. It does not dishonor others, even if they deserve it, even if they're thumbing their nose at God, even if they're spitting in the face of God. It, it refuses to dishonor. It, it doesn't. It is not easily angered. It does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. And always perseveres. So it's a self-sacrificing, emptying of ourselves for the benefit of others type of love. It's a giving of ourselves totally to God and for people. And this church in Ephesus, they were making sacrifices. They were doing good things. It just wasn't everything. They just weren't, they were willing to go this far, but not all the way with him. They were loving some people, just not all people. You see, it's easy for us in the church when we start standing against evil for love to become absent. And I know we use the nice religious phrases, oh, we love the sinner, but we just hate the sin. Way too often that line gets blurry and we start hating the sinner. 
How dare you thumb your nose at God? How dare you try to make life harder for me on this earth? How dare you? And we almost actually hope they get what they deserve. At least that's where I I was. Maybe you're not there. I don't want anyone to get what they deserve. Because I never did. And I never will. I want to define the word first for you. This is an important word, first. It means preceding all others in time, space, or degree. First, before, best, most important. And the reason I define that word for you is because we rely a lot on what translators give us in the Bible. But Jesus basically says, you've forsaken first love, come back to first works. And we've assumed that means come back to a time when you were, you know, more in love with him. Come back to a time, it may not mean time. It may mean degree. It may not mean, you know, think back to what it was like when you were first saved. It may mean what's most important. The love that is above all things. Because we know from Matthew chapter 22 that to love God with everything and to love our neighbor as ourself is the the totality of the gospel. That's everything. And so what if Jesus isn't saying, come back to another time, but Jesus is saying, come back to what's priority. Come back to a type of love that supersedes everything. I know you've done all these things and I see all those things and those are commendable things but you don't have what matters most. You see, it's easy for us to sacrifice in a way that I'm comfortable sacrificing. Know what I mean? Like I can give up something big and we we celebrate this in our culture. I mean, we celebrate it when Ellen DeGeneres brings someone on her show that's so worthy. I mean, they're, they're going through such a hard time and she just, she just gives them so much stuff and she takes, and we cry and we're like, yeah, that's so awesome. We love that. Can I tell you, that's put in our hearts by God. That's a part of God. He loves to give people and help people. But Ellen doesn't bring on people that are mean people. She doesn't bring on people that are pedophiles. She doesn't bring on the disgusting people of our culture that don't deserve it. That's what should separate us from her. Even the world does the other one. And if we can't do that, if we can't do that with the people in this room, how can we claim his love is in us? How? And it's easy because I got a whole list of stuff. I tithe, I go to church every week, I never miss a Sunday, I serve in a ministry, I do all these things and I've been doing it for 75 years. I've been doing it, I'm faithful, I'm a hard worker. Have you lost agape? Are you willing to say, I mean, it's not what you're willing to give up, it's what you refuse to give up. God, I'll give up, I'll go everywhere. No, God, not that. It's not who we love, it's who we refuse to love. And this is such a powerful, powerful, powerful message. I want to look to one last scripture. And oddly, I actually titled this message, Staying Rooted and Grounded. 
But don't worry, I'm, I'm nearing a conclusion. <laughs> don't panic. But the reason I wrote it is because this is a message that the Ephesians church walked away from. I don't know that there was a time in their lives where they ever understood it. I don't know that when we first get saved, we fully understand the love of God. I mean, I know we, we kind of get it, but do we really understand? I mean, is that Jesus? I don't know that Jesus is calling us back to that moment because even at that moment, it's so immature, I don't know that I fully get it. I think he's calling us to a high standard of love, a preeminence of love toward God and toward all people. And in Ephesians chapter three, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians church, look at what he wrote. I pray that you being rooted and established in agape may have power together with all the Lord's people, Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that word know means to experience, to know this love that surpasses knowledge though you may be, so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. In other words, I want you to experience the love of God regularly, even though you're never gonna be able to fully understand it. That's why I don't believe Jesus called us back to a time because even then we didn't fully understand it. Right now we don't fully understand it. He's calling us to understand it more and to live it out more. And to experience the love of Christ is not come to an altar and cry. Not be so grateful that Jesus died for you as a sinner. That's a part of it. It's to experience it in such a way that it transforms how you treat other people. That's what experience it means. Are we willing to sacrifice everything for God? Are we willing to sacrifice everything for even our enemies? Because it's not really how long our commendable list is. It's the one thing on the list that we don't want to talk about. But Jesus loves us enough that he will never let us stay in that state. And I promise you, this is a message I didn't plan to preach. We were moving on from unoffendable. Unfortunately, Mark, for some reason, brought us back to unoffendable. A few weeks ago, when he preached on law versus grace and forgiving others, I'm like, dude, it was Pentecost Sunday. You were supposed to preach on the Holy Spirit. What happened? That's what I asked him. I said, don't get me wrong. The whole time I watched, it just it rang in my heart. But I'm like... Why are we going back to unoffendable? I don't know. Why are we going back to keep your love on? Why are we going back to the prodigal God? The messages that God has continuously over the last several years spoken to our church about loving people. Even in Galatians, it says the whole law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, but I got a whole list of stuff. I mean, surely God is, I mean, I know I'm working on loving the, the hard people in my life, but surely God is pleased. He is. But if we don't repent and acknowledge he's got to work here, I mean, it doesn't mean you got to fix it today. It just means you have to acknowledge it today. God, I don't, I don't want to forsake this. I want this to be a priority. And I can't help but think when Jason brought it to us last week and said, 
Do you love God with everything? Is he enough? I mean, if it was just you and Jesus and no more miracles and no more nothing for the rest, that person never came back and said, I'm sorry. Is it enough? Is it enough? I can't, starting next week, I'm really gonna peel the layers off of my own life and I'm gonna talk to you about the last three years of my life. And it's so hard when you pastor a church for 21 years because other preachers I watch, they give illustrations that are so profound from their own life, but the problem is all of my illustrations are here. And so sometimes I hesitate to say what's going on because some of you will connect the dots. And I promise you, there's not a person in my life that's ever said anything or done anything to me that I haven't named their name before God and asked God to bless them and, and really meant it from my heart. And so when I start peeling layers off, it's not to shame anybody or hurt anybody, but I need you to know that God is involved in the work of this church. God is doing something in our lives, and he has spoken three very specific things to me over the last three years of my life, and I cannot shake them. And next week, I'm going to preach a sermon to you called, Have You Forgotten? Have You Forgotten? And we're going to remind ourselves of things that Jesus said to us in the past. Because sometimes God speaks something to us and we get all excited about it. But then it doesn't work out the way we had hoped and we give up way too soon. And God is still at work in the, the idea of restoration in this church. And can I tell you, restoration is all about abandoning, abandoning ourselves and loving God with everything and loving every person the same way. It's about kingdom power and it's about kingdom relationships and God is doing some such cool stuff right now and I'm gonna tell you some of it over the next several weeks and uh, some of it I've withheld. I, I, I withheld some of it for a long time from leaders because I was afraid to tell you all the things that I felt like God was putting in my heart because I watched as I shared some of the stuff God was putting in my heart that people didn't like it and so I didn't wanna tell you everything but God is already starting to answer prayers that I was praying that no one else knew I was praying. And so today, here's what I want us to wrestle with. Are we staying rooted and grounded in agape? Is my life characterized by self-sacrificing action toward God and towards all people? If you can't say yes to that, Take a minute at the end of this service and come to this altar and kneel down. Nothing, nothing's very special about this, this area except it's a place where we say, God, I'm gonna acknowledge that I need to turn around today and I need to come back to you. I need to come back to this preeminence, not back to a time. I need to come back to where love is priority and not just a, a lot of love, all love, all, I'm all in. No matter what you put your finger on, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna do it. No matter what person is in my life, I'm gonna love. I'm gonna do it with everything in me. But I caution you, don't, don't take, I mean, think about it, process it, make sure you wanna count that cost. And people ask, why are these chairs up here? Well, we're having altars made, prayer benches made, and until they're made, I know that chairs look stupid, so if you watch online and you're like, where are all those chairs for? Someone literally joked with me once and says, are those for the 24 elders? <laughs> like, no. 
They're just places for people to pray. And when I'm here, I want a place where when I pray in this room, I can touch a chair where people are going to pray and say, God, do a deep work. I want a spot where people can come to. And so I prayed again for these chairs this week because I want you to be able to have a place where you can say, God, I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn. And if maybe you don't feel like the Holy Spirit's saying that you've, you've turned away from that, but maybe your prayer today is, God, don't ever let me turn away from that. Don't ever let my heart get hard. Don't ever let me keep going through the religious motions and miss it. In fact, just this week at House of Prayer, I didn't ask if I could share this word, but someone gave a word in the middle of prayer, and they said, you know, I, don't, I thought this was just for me, but I feel like it's for someone else. They said, God, is, God says you've been going through the motions so long, you don't even know what it means to go back to the beginning. You can't remember what that's like. And so it's not about being able to remember and go back to that place. It's just about giving him everything. That was the essence of the word. And I just, tears are streaming down my face because I had already prepared this and this was in my heart. And I'm like, yeah, you're not calling us back to, a, the, to another place. You're calling us to a higher place where love is above all. And it's going to be the hardest place that we've ever walked, but it's going to be the best place we've ever walked. And so I want you to stand with me, if you would. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I hadn't planned on doing this, but we're actually going to end the service with that same song that we just sang, Build My Life. And as we sing this song, I know it's 1130, and if you need to leave as we sing, uh, you, know, you, you can slip out. Please don't let that stop you. But if you can stay while we sing, if you want to respond to this altar, these altars are going to be open. And I want us to just sing this as a last concluding prayer to God. And then I'll dismiss in prayer and you can feel free to be dismissed at that point too. But I, I really feel like we need to come back and we need to sing this song again. And so join me and let's make this song our prayer as we sing again, Build My Life. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus the 
every name. And God, we never want to say no to you. We want always to say yes. Everything that you ask of us, we want to say yes. God, we don't want to be like the rich young ruler when you put your finger on that one thing. God, we want to have lives that are totally yielded to you. And so, Holy Spirit, if there's areas that we're holding back, we ask that you'd reveal them to us, that you'd put your finger on that one thing, that, we've, that one thing that we've withheld, that one thing that we've been afraid to let go of, that one thing. God, that every person that comes into our lives, we treat with honor. God, that every person that comes into our lives, we treat with respect, that we treat with kindness, that we treat with patience. God, even when we need to rebuke and even when we need to correct, God, that we would do it in love. God, that we would do it as as Galatians chapter six, two says, that we would do it to restore others. God, that we would do it gently. Holy Spirit, teach us how to do it. Teach us how to love others the way that you have loved others us and so show us every area in our lives every areas of our lives where we've fallen short and holy spirit over these next few weeks these next months help us to build our lives on that foundation of your love to stay rooted and grounded in your love so that we are filled to the fullness with all of the measure of you God, answer our prayers, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you're at these altars praying, you can continue to pray. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some more time in prayer before they go. God bless you as you go today.